Welcome to the Embodied Aquarian Age podcast. This is Emily Trinkus, and I'm excited to share with you my conversation with Megan Wilson, also known by her pen name, Megan March. Megan is the best-selling author of 40 romance novels and recently published a nonfiction book she co-wrote with her husband, Jacob Wilson, A Creative Rebel's Guide to Winning the Game of Life. I was drawn to this book by the title because, of course, I identify as a creative rebel, and I found it super inspiring and very useful. I was really thrilled that Megan agreed to talk with me, and I hope you love our conversation as much as I did. All right. Welcome, Meg. I'm so excited to talk with you. Thank you for being willing to be on my podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super honored to be here. Awesome. So I read your book, A Creative Rebel's Guide to Winning the Game of Life, um, which you co-wrote with your husband, Jacob Wilson. And I just found it so inspiring. And you start out the book by saying that you and, and Jacob are now living the life of your dreams. And so you want to share with people how you got there and how they can get there, too. Um, but you also say that that wasn't always the case, that, you know, you didn't just, you know, come out of the womb and I'm living my dreams, but it's been a journey. So do you want to say a little bit about how you transformed your own not so happy circumstances into something much more fulfilling? Absolutely. Um, it's a great story uh, that I love to share because obviously it's pretty awesome to live a life that feels like a fantasy but I think it's so important for people to know that this just didn't happen by accident or without a, a lot of intention and effort because it really did take a lot. So once upon a time, I was a corporate lawyer and I was actually a happy corporate lawyer at first. And then a few years in, I started to understand law firm politics and realized, you know, this maybe wasn't going to be a place I'd ever be happy. I didn't, I loved, I actually loved being a lawyer, parts of it. And then I really, the law firm politics were so hard and it, it wasn't fun. All of a sudden I realized this thing that I thought maybe would be fun, wasn't fun. And I kind of had this realization through, you know, over many years of starting to realize, okay, maybe this isn't the thing for me. Um, that all of a sudden one day I was like, no, I just want a completely different life. I really do not like my life. I went through all this work and effort. I went to law school. I became a lawyer. You know, I live in this town I don't want to live in. I have a life that I really just, nothing about it makes me happy. And that was a really crazy realization to make. I was coming out of the grief of my father's death. And I think um, it, those types of events can really be very centering for you. When you take stock of, okay, tomorrow's not guaranteed, I'm not doing something that makes me happy. I want to be happy. What do I need to do to get there? And so being happy became my purpose in life. And it sort of didn't matter how that happened. I didn't care what I had to walk through in order to get to happy. I didn't care that I was going to have to walk away from a career. I just sunk a bunch of time, effort, and money to get into. Like, I didn't care. Happiness was really the only thing that mattered to me. And I was willing to do whatever I could to just be happy. But even at the time, I didn't necessarily even know what happy was. It, it's sort of this elusive concept. So I went on a mission to be happy. And it ended up uh, 
blowing up my life like a grenade, um, which I think is really important for people to know that this process isn't always neat and tidy. I literally say I pulled a pin on the grenade that was my life and I walked away and it all exploded. It was crazy. I ended up getting divorced. I ended up almost getting fired from my job when they found out I wasn't sure if I wanted to work there anymore. I mean, it was it was pretty rough in, in a few for a, for a few months, few even a year. And I just kept thinking, I want to be happy. I want to be happy. And almost getting fired turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened to me. And uh, my law firm basically said, you have six months to decide you still want to be a lawyer or you need to get out. I had been there for seven and a half years. I had devoted my entire life to this job. And I was like, I can't lie to them. I can't say I want to be a lawyer. I can't lie about this. It's too important. So they ended up hiring me a career coach so I could figure out what I wanted to do. And she ended up being an angel in my life and just really started to help me figure out, yes, you might want something completely different, but there's steps. There's steps along the path to get there. And it's not going to happen overnight. And what she explained to me was one of the most important things I think I ever learned on this journey was sometimes you just need a lily pad. And that was what I needed. And I just needed a jump, right? I needed to jump out of the situation I was in that I was miserable at that moment. And I needed to get somewhere that was less miserable. So maybe your journey to happy doesn't go straight from unhappy to happy. There's lily pads in between. And so through a series of choices and decisions, every single moment that I had in my life, I went I would weigh it. Is this going to make me happy? Is this going to lead me to happiness? That was the filter through which I made every single decision. Um, not, is this going to make me the most money? Is this going to make me the most successful? Where is the, you know, it was about being happy. And it truly was. I was willing to take a massive pay cut if I could just be happy. Wow. I mean, I think it's so brave to let go of something that you've invested so much of your life, so much of your money, your time. I mean, I know to become a successful lawyer, you have to work your ass off. And so to be able to step away from that is just, it's really courageous. It was a huge leap. Um, I will tell you, I left, a, I left my law firm and I went in-house and I worked at a Fortune 50 and I signed a one-year contract with them. And the day that I could quit, I quit my job and I drove out of those gates and I felt like I was taking a leap off a cliff with no parachute. Literally, my backup plan was, if this all goes south, I'll just live in my mom's basement. <laughs> it's always good to have a backup plan, right? <laughs> You know, I had a backup plan when I went in to take the bar exam. I was like, if I fail the bar exam, I'm going to become a locksmith. I don't even care. Screw this. Uh, so, you know, it is terrifying to leave behind the known. If you have, anyone's ever done it, if you've ever taken one of those major leaps of faith, it is terrifying because you feel like you're jumping off a cliff. You don't know if you're going to fly. You hope you sprout wings before you hit the ground, but there's no guarantees. So I had my mom's basement as a backup. And I was like, let's just, let's do this. And it, <laughs> it was really awesome though, um, to see how the coworkers at the time, other attorneys, some of them were just amazed uh, that I was willing to walk away from something I had invested all that time, energy, and money in. Well, what about law school? You worked so hard on it. And I would just stare at them and think, well, actually I would say it out loud. I was like, but it doesn't make me happy. Why do I want to hold on to a sunk cost 
you know, I already did that. Yeah, I can keep holding on to this for the rest of my life and it will never make me happy. Or I can let go, jump off a cliff, hope I learn to fly and who knows what could happen. So mm-hmm. I jumped. I I did not hit the ground. I sprouted wings and I flew beyond my wildest dreams. <laughs> and and now you're a very successful writer of romance novels like and and you've written is it 38? Novels? Um, actually 40. 40. 40. <laughs> That's incredible. But but in the book you talk about how and and you were working on your first books as you were still working your legal job with so ton of ton of work ton of commitment and you talk about in the book how your first two novels were not successful and and so here is where a lot of people would say well I tried you know I, I went for my big dream obviously the universe doesn't support me so you know didn't work so I guess I'll just go back to my job that I hate. So what do you think it was in you that really got you to persist and to keep going to, to get to where you wanted to be? I think after my first two books flopped came probably the most pivotal moment on my journey, because there is that moment when you're like, okay, well that one flopped. And my second book, I mean, I had all the faith in the world in myself. I would bet on myself every day of the week, all day long. I had all the faith in the world in myself. I thought my second book was going to be a New York times bestseller. It was going to be the one it was going to crush everything. It was going to be amazing. Like I had high hopes and it totally flopped and it was pretty soul crushing really. And I learned so much. But after that, after that book, I made, there was this moment, I remember sitting on my couch in my rental house after I'd blown up my life and I was now divorced or in the middle of a divorce. And at that moment, I'm sitting in my rental house and I was like, I don't care how many books I have to write. I don't care if it takes five years of working at this job I don't really like. I don't care what it takes. I'm never going to quit. I will just keep going. I don't care. And it was such determination. Like I'm talking soul deep. I don't care what I have to do. I will get there. Like this will happen for me one way or another. And it all it is, is a matter of time. And I knew that down to my very bones. And I was a hundred percent sure. And I didn't care how much or how long or what had to happen in order for it to happen. I just knew I was never going to give up. And I honestly, I don't know where that comes from, right? Other than this was my path. And I feel like when you're on your true path and you're following your heart, there are those moments when you're like, I don't give a shit that everyone thinks that this is batshit crazy, a terrible idea that I'm nuts and no one believes in me. I don't care. I'm still going to do it. That is so powerful. It is probably was one of the most powerful decisions I ever made in my entire life. And but for that one decision, that one moment, I would not be sitting here talking to you. Mm. You know, something something that really stayed with me from the Creative Rebels Guide was that we shouldn't always tell people what our big dreams are. Like it's it's good to keep them secret. And you talk about your own experience of keeping this dream really close and not not sharing it even, you know, with your coworkers or maybe with, you know, all your friends until it actually happened. Can you talk about why that's important and why you think that that works, <laughs> worked for you? 
Oh, I think that's so vitally important. And I think it's one of the hardest things in the world to do because as humans, we're social creatures. You get an idea, you want to like tell people about it. And now you have the internet and Facebook and you people share their every thought the second they have it. Um, and that's become really accepted in our culture. And I think the opposite is even more important. Keeping things to yourself is so underrated. Um, I totally stumbled into this. You know, this wasn't like wisdom I had that I decided to apply. I was doing something I wasn't technically allowed to do. So while I was working at this law firm, I was under a no moonlighting policy and I was not technically allowed to make any income from any source other than the law firm without the permission of this fuddy-duddy old committee, right? I'm an ask forgiveness, not permission kind of girl. I don't need permission for anybody, for anyone to live my life. And so I did it anyway. And I also knew I was going to be out the door. But because of that, I chose a pen name. And so I decided I can't have clients going and searching my real name and popping up with Post-Apocalyptic Menage, which was my first book. Just going to say. And it was a total <laughs> flop because no one was interested. But um, so I... I couldn't really be open about it in my situation. And I became the very best secret keeper of all. And when I left the law firm and went to this in-house job where it wasn't, it was totally permissible. I could do it. I could be open about it if I wanted to be. Um, I told nobody. And it became this thing that was, it was just for me. And it was so awesome because no one could ask me, well, how's it going after I had two books that flopped? You know, I remember the, there was one person that knew and they said, well, how's it going? How many books have you sold? And I remember like, uh, 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 thousands. I'm like maybe 2001 copies at this point. So when we're, I think we want maybe from an ego perspective to sound like everything we're doing is great and awesome and wonderful. But sometimes you're in the midst of failure and that's not as much fun to share with people. And if you're sharing about your failures, then you're speaking about them. You're putting those vibrations out in the world. And I think when you don't tell anybody what you're doing, a failure, it's not even a failure. You don't even think about it. It's like, okay, well, it hasn't happened yet. I just keep going. I, it doesn't matter. Whereas when you tell people, everyone wants to check in with you. Well, how's it going? Or if you have negative people in your life, I told you it wasn't going to work or it's never going to happen or it should have happened by now. I think by keeping things a secret, you just don't invite the negativity that is so rampant, you know, in our culture around the world. And I think I was very lucky, I guess, to be in a situation where I had to keep a secret and it worked out really well for me, even at the point when I could tell people what I did, because I was a full time author making lots of money. You know, I could literally tell shout it from the rooftops. I still didn't tell anybody. It was so ingrained in me to just not speak about it that it wasn't until my husband, my husband was telling all our neighbors, we moved into this new subdivision in Austin and I was like, why are you telling people what I do? And he's like, because you're a rock star. And I want everyone to know my wife is a rock star. And I was like, whoa, okay, I can't argue with that. Uh, but, but it was, that was a habit that was hard to break. And um, I think it's even harder when you're doing things in front of people, like you're already successful and you're going to try something new and you feel like you have to do that on a stage. That's even crazier. Um, so I tend to keep a lot of things secret still. Mm -hmm. Well, and I've noticed too that people can get very triggered by someone who's really going for it and really breaking out of what they don't like because um, it's it's threatening because then it brings up their own 
big dreams and their own big desires that that they've been pushing down so they can keep on keeping on with the job they hate or whatever it is that's not working for them. And so, yeah, it can then, you know, then they can throw a lot of that at you. Oh, yeah. I think you can see that crabs in a bucket um, effect or tall poppy syndrome. I think they call it in Australia where, oh, you're getting big for your britches. Let me knock you down to size or um, crabs in a bucket. Like, well, you think you're going to climb out. You're no better than the rest of us kind of attitude. I think that's there. But also if someone is going for their big dreams, like you said, it can be triggering. It can make somebody all of a sudden have to look at themselves and think, well, what if there's something out there more for more for me? And maybe mm-hmm. they're just not at a place where they can even consider that because they're afraid or they're, you know, for whatever reason, you know, everyone's at their own stage of the journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you, you did have your breakthrough book, your breakthrough novel and, and many bestsellers after that. And then I've heard you talk about um, in 2017, then having a kind of dark night of soul, like, oh, woohoo, I, I achieved this goal. Yay life. Wah, wah. Then, then what happened? This was probably the biggest surprise in my life and definitely one of the most unexpected experiences ever. And I think it was one of the most important too. Um, I had this list of goals and some of them were pretty ridiculous at the time uh, when I wrote them down. And the only outstanding goal on my list was to hit the New York Times. I had hit every other goal on my list. I'd made the money. You know, I'd done all this stuff. And I just I wanted to hit this New York Times. And it became you know, the be all end all, I guess it was what kept pushing me. And I hit it. And it was awesome for like an hour. And then you have that realization that nothing in my life changed. I'm exactly the same person I was. I'm still stressed out. I'm still all the things I was before I got that fancy new title. I'm exactly the same person. It changed nothing except for a bunch of people on the internet congratulated me, my peers all knew that I was a big deal, which I already knew I was. And uh, I it made it easier to sell uh, books in foreign languages because they like titles. Um, and that was devastating. It was devastating to me. At the time, I was very much living in the material world, plugged into the matrix kind of, you know, goals were make lots of money, then maybe I can find something, you know, maybe I'll find the paradise I really want to live in. I don't really want to live where I live, you know, all those things. And then you realize those big goals and dreams are not necessarily going to make you fulfilled. And I think that was the worst, best realization of my life was the realization that you can have incredible achievement and success without fulfillment. And I wasn't aware of that previously. Mm-hmm. I thought if I had that achievement and that success, I would find fulfillment. And it was, I mean, I'm talking, I was under the covers bawling my eyes out like the next week because I felt like, well, I've done it. I've done it all. I hit every, I'm, I was like 35 years old. I've hit every goal I've ever had in my entire life. And I still feel there's still something empty inside. And that's a, that's a rough realization. You're like, then, then what, what now, where do you go from here? Like more achievements, not gonna help. You start to realize that my friends were like, well, now you can hit number one on the New York times. You can be a number one New York times bestseller. And I was like, I don't care. It doesn't matter. That's going to change nothing. Also, I'm already aware of that. Um, And it, it was one of those really crazy experiences because every single person around you 
has no idea how to relate to what you're going through because they can't even imagine it because they've never been to the heights of success. They've never been to the top of the mountain and realized, oh, you're up there all by yourself and there's nothing else there. It, no one gets it, like literally nobody. And I think that was one of the hardest things about it because most people, they've got that big dream out there. And maybe someday when I hit that and I got to experience that moment of, I hit all those goals and dreams. I got the whole Jim Carrey. I want everyone to be rich and famous and, and realize it's not going to make you happy. And that's not what life's about. And I got to experience that firsthand. And it was, it was crazy. It threw me into that dark night of the soul. And I started asking myself, what's next? I thought I had found my thing. I thought this was it. I thought this is what I was supposed to do. How could I have gone so wrong? Like, where did I mess up? So I started a lot of self-doubt, a lot of questioning. And I just, you know, went headfirst into the darkness. And that ended up being exactly where I needed to be. I needed to know those things. I needed to realize that selling more books isn't going to make you happy. You know, hitting the list more times isn't going to make you happy. I hit the New York Times nine times after that. And it was like, yeah, it's cool. It's super cool. Don't get me wrong. Uh, the world is really impressed by it a lot. Uh, but at the end of the day, I was still that girl who just wanted to be happy and so it seemed my quest for happy just was going to continue, except this time I was in the darkness and I really, truly had no idea where to go or what to do. So I just kept writing books because it seemed like the most, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm good at it. I, you know, I wrote a lot of books. And then one day I realized I'm so burned out. I have to stop because I still don't know where I'm going. It was a crazy time of my life. Um, but sometimes you need to spend some time in the darkness. It's really good for your soul. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. It was a gift, probably the greatest gift I think I've ever been given, um, is to have that dark night of the soul and mm -hmm. to, to face those things. Cause how many people are still out there wondering and wishing about their one big dream? And I'm like, okay, check that one off the list. I'm going to, I'm going to keep going. There's something more for me in this lifetime. Um, still going. Mm hmm. Yeah, that makes me think of the idea of um, separating desires. I don't remember which, which spiritual teacher this comes from, but they talk about this in evolutionary astrology, about this idea that we need to burn through those material desires, because that's the only way that we know that ultimately the only fulfillment comes from service and comes from within. And it's not about the material desire. But if we don't go for the material desire, then we're not going to get to that next stage. Yes. And at the, t that is so true. And I experienced that firsthand and I, I grew up Catholic, so I didn't grow up, um, and with any kind of, uh, real spirituality base, we went to church once a week and that was it period end of story, you know? So I had no basis in spirituality. I was raised very much in a material type world. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny, you know, you don't know what you don't know until you know it. <laughs> and I, I'm glad I got to, like you said, burn through that material desire and realize those things don't make you happy. And then you get to that spiritual journey. And I had this wonderful spiritual awakening and being able to go down that road and truly find fulfillment and happiness at every moment. I've, I'm working on this book right now, um, kind of, I'm working on a million books, but it's called The Road to Radically Happy because mm -hmm. one, happiness wasn't what I thought it was how to get there was not what I thought it was. <laughs> and I think there's so many people who just have a 
we don't even know what we're actually looking for. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think we're not really um, trained or taught or conditioned to do that kind of dreaming into and feeling into there's so much focus on the external and what external success looks like. And then, you know, and then like in your case, you get there and who cares? It's not not really what I wanted. So what would you say for people who are in a place maybe similar to where you were back in your law firm days and, you know, people who might feel really stuck in a life that doesn't feel like their own or that's not fulfilling? Like, what do you think is the, the kind of key starting point to shift out of that? Well, I think just that stuckness, that feeling of this isn't enough for me. I feel like that's divine discontent, really. It's a, I think that is a great feeling to have, even if it feels crappy at the time. To me, that's just an invitation to start digging into what is truly meant for you. And so what I did when I, you know, as a lawyer, because I've never done this before, I never transformed into something completely different. I had no idea what I was doing. It took me about two years of just trying things on. Like, do I want to be, you know, what do I really like? What do I really enjoy? What did I enjoy as a child? What brings me joy? What do I lose track of time while I'm doing it? Like, these were questions I started asking myself. Like, what are those things that makes my heart feel like it's going to grow wings and take flight? Regardless of how ridiculous it sounds or how left field or just outside the box. So I could never make money from that. That could never like, you don't actually know that, but just following up on things that you maybe enjoy that you don't think you can make a living at. Those are, I feel like it's just a time to start digging, figure out who you are. What do you want? What makes you happy? What makes you smile? What makes you laugh? What do you actually want to spend your time doing? I think we discount how much um, opportunity there is in this world to actually be happy at every moment. And for me, I finally reached this place after 10 years of having that stuckness feeling. You know, a decade later, I can actually say I'm, I do things I love with people I love in a place that I love, knowing I'm loved. Like mm -hmm. that was not true for me. And if you're in a job you hate, well, the first thing is to recognize I hate my job. And guess what? There's just because tons of people hate their job and it's very common doesn't make it normal. Like, <laughs> why would you want to devote eight plus hours a day and all this other time that you're thinking to something you don't enjoy? Like, I think giving people permission to realize, yes, there could be a whole different life out there for you that is actually calling to you based on that stuckness, that discontent that you have. To me, that's just a sign that there's something better. There's something more fulfilling. There's something else out there that's trying to reach you. But you're going to have to get a bit uncomfortable before it can get to you. Because if, we could, if it could reach you as the person you are today, you'd already have it. And this is, I think, the thing I really learned on this journey. It's not that these things are just trying to reach you. It's that you have to grow into being the person who the things that you dream about can happen to. For me to become a New York Times bestselling author, I couldn't be a lawyer that didn't write books, right? Like it doesn't happen. The conditions weren't right. So in order for any magic to happen in your life, you have to create different conditions to get different results. 
So just taking the time to think about what might make someone more happy than Mm -hmm. what they're currently doing, being brave enough to actually have that introspection and that those conversations with yourself. I made lists and just, I was, I threw everything at the wall and then I would try stuff on almost like I would pretend, well, what would this feel like? I thought maybe I wanted to have an Etsy store. So I made all this jewelry. I got ready to take all the pictures. And I was like, mm, I don't really want to do this. Like I, I couldn't motivate myself to even pull the trigger and open the store. And I was like, okay, well, maybe that's not it then. And I think that's a really good sign as you're digging into these things. Do you have to really push and force yourself to do it? Or do you mm-hmm. feel like you're putting square peg in round hole? Or is it something you're excited about and you can't stop researching it because you want to know everything? And I'm just so over the moon about this new topic. I want to do a deep dive and I want to know everything. Those are signs I think to look for. I follow my excitement. I follow my fun and I follow my happy. And those Mm -hmm. have always been my guides. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think you're so right that it is really normalized not to like your job. And I think about all the, you know, TV programs or whatever with showing people, you know, day to day, like it's just, it's just sort of, well, this is just how reality is that we go to jobs that we hate and make jokes about it and, you know, kind of muddle through where, yeah, how can that be normal? And then there's also this idea that that's really practical, you know, like it's practical to spend 50 years doing a job you hate because then you're going to get to retire and spend your last, you know, five years when you feel like crap because you've destroyed your body doing what you love. (laughs) That's practical. I think that is the biggest load of bullshit that we're sold, honestly, because yeah, trade your life and all your best years. And then maybe at the end, if you make it that far and don't get hit by a bus, you can enjoy the last five. But I think if you, okay, if you back up and you think about The people who make a giant profit from people going to jobs they hate every day, being cogs in a machine, and of course it's programmed into our entertainment. Of course it's programmed into our media. And then they don't even really have to try to program it because people are living it, so they're perpetuating it, and they're sharing that program with their children. I mean, if if the things that you experience from zero to six really mold you and your subconscious into the person you're going to become... Well, if mom and dad come home every single day bitching about their job, how much they hate their boss, how this job is awful, that child is learning that that's normal. And so they're going to go out and do the same thing. I honestly think it's a pattern that we just have to break. No, we should be happy. We should be happy every day. You should not be dreading going back to work on Saturday when you don't have to be to work until Monday. I used to live that life. That was me. Saturday afternoon, dreading Monday. That's not normal. I used to think, how bad would I have to get hurt to get two weeks off work? And they would leave me alone. Do I have to get hit by a car or hit by a bus? Like, these are legitimate (laughs) thoughts that I had. That's messed up. Like, I'm sure you're not alone in that. I'm sure you're not alone in those thoughts. Right? So, you know, it is... And those were the kinds of things that I was like, this isn't normal. There's like, I need to do something with my life that makes me happy. And turns out there are things out there and they are just because they're not a normal thing. When, when I tell people I'm a romance author, they're like, really? Like you can even do this. It turns out you can. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, I really like that the first chapter 
of the Creative Rebels Guide is about who are you? Because I, first, I, th I think of the zodiac as an astrologer. I think of the zodiac and how the zodiac starts with the sign Aries, which is the sign of who am I? And then how how we answer that question determines the whole rest of the wheel. You know, if we think of the zodiac as a cycle of evolution or a cycle of development, right? And and you write that the story you tell yourself about yourself is the most important story of your entire life. And it seems like most of us really have a much too limited story and perspective on who we really are. So can you can you flesh this out a, a bit? Yeah. Why do you think this is so important? I think your self-concept is the most important thing in your mind because your life is being you know, you're being, it's things are being magnetized by your heart, but your mind is so important and whatever you're thinking about, you know, um, thinking about it brings it about, right? I mean, it's one of those spiritual things. The more you think about it, the more likelihood you're going to bring it about. You're feeding something energy. So if you have a terrible self-image, uh, I believe life is going to conspire to make that true, right? So what I truly believe is what we're most afraid of is realizing our greatness, because we've been programmed to believe that we're small, but we're not small. We are so magnificent, magnanimous, and great that it's terrifying. And I think if we had to own our greatness, we'd have to stop playing so small. And I think that's what people are mostly terrified of. It's, it's just incredible that we've been programmed into believing we don't matter you know, my little old life. Oh, I'm just one person. What does it matter? Well, to me, my life means a lot because I'm living it. This is, and I wanted to have a great experience. It's one of those things that I feel like we, we're afraid to own how awesome we are. Because if, if you sit around and, and you're like, yeah, actually, I'm pretty great. I am pretty awesome. The first thing I think you hear a small voice in your head, oh, don't get too high on yourself. Like the ego loves to kick in and be like, oh, just back up there a minute you're not that great. It's like, well, actually I'm an infinite being having a human experience through this body. So, so I'm curious for you, since there can be that fear of being as big as we are and fear of stepping into a bigger life and more power, is that something that's come up for you as you have, you know, become really successful and, and someone who has more influence and is reaching all of these people um, how, how does that feel for you? Or has that been a, a, an issue for you? It's been something that I've kind of had to grow into, I feel like, um, especially as I've gone deeper and deeper down the spiritual path, and you become so much more aware and conscious of how much impact everything you say and do can have. Um, I just really try to make sure that first off, I never do any harm and that everything I do, I try to come from love. And that's really been the best guidelines for me. And everything has to feel right. You know, I'm a feel person. Everything has to feel right. And I, I don't, it's, it is a little scary when you think about, you know, I could say something or wh whip up a whole thing frenzy of people over something because I've seen it done, right? I've seen a lot of um, people kind of misuse their influence. Right. And I try to just never 
ever do anything like that. I always just try to focus 100% on positivity and always leave a positive impact in the world. Um, it's so easy to use your power for other things, I think. But um, I'm sure a lot of us have had other lifetimes where we've experimented with using power in wrong ways. Uh, so I'm really hopeful that uh, I'm just very careful with what I do and what I say. Right. And I think, you know, yes, I think there can be that that past life experience. And then I think also we have so many examples of people with a lot of influence who are abusing power. And I think that can be part of the fear, too. And, and there's that saying about, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And so, well, then I don't want that. I don't <laughs> want to be powerful then. Right. But um, but then I think we're missing the chance to really have that, you know, that influence that's loving and positive and healing and inspiring for people if we don't, you know, if we if we don't utilize our power. Absolutely. And I think um, it's one of those things that if you're being guided by your heart, you know, you're being guided by your creator, uh, something bigger than yourself, right? Something bigger than the ego. I think that's the most important, most important thing to focus on. And I, there's so many people who have power that are living in their ego. And I think that's why we see that abusive power, but they, you know, Jesus has the stories and Buddha's both, they both have stories about how they were tempted, you know, Jesus in the desert. And then Buddha says that he was tempted. And so I think that's just one of those things you have to face. If you are going to fully embody all of the power that's available to you in this incarnation, you have to understand the risks that come with it. And I, I'm a huge, 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 huge fan of uh, Dr. David R. Hawkins. Um, mm. I've read his books many times and I absolutely adore him, his work. But he talks about um, even he was tempted once he was reached the point kind of of enlightenment and but it was it was kind of a funny thing. It was a now that you can use your power for whatever you want, you're beyond personal karma, you know, use it for yourself. And his advice is surrender all power to God mm-hmm. and just be a servant of God and do God's will and and ask for knowledge of God's will for you and the power to carry it out and surrender all power to God. And so that's kind of the track I take. I'm like, this isn't my power. I know that. I know that as a creative, when you're writing a book and this whole storyline or character or whatever just dumps right into your lap and you're like, I didn't make that up. That, you know, I'm I'm very aware that I'm just a channel and a conduit for whatever is coming through me. And that's my self-expression. But I have so much responsibility also for how I use that power. And and I I take it seriously. I take it really seriously, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it seems like the people who would really take it seriously and be coming from more of that, you know, heartfelt place and desire to do good tend to be the ones who are not taking power because they're afraid of abusing it versus the people with the ill intentions who, you know, have have no qualms about taking on more power. Um, but this, you know, this this line of thinking also makes me think about selfishness and and you address this in the book and this idea that like am I selfish to have a big dream and to focus on my big dream and especially if part of that dream is to have abundance and to have wealth and you know to, to be a really happy person like is that selfish or you know should I should I be 
you know, resisting those urges to follow those dreams, um, if it's not all about what I'm doing for other people, why do you think that's not selfish? I experienced this, I feel like firsthand and, and really went through this and analyzed it for myself because I wondered, I wondered those things kind of in the aftermath, right? When I'm chasing my big dream, I didn't, I didn't care really what anyone else was doing. I wanted to be free. I never wanted to be a lawyer again. And it was very motivating. And then afterwards, you, yeah, you do start, what well, was that selfish? And knowing what I know now, I can tell you it is absolutely not selfish in any way, shape or form. And in fact, it's a huge disservice to humanity to not follow your dream and follow your heart and go for the big one. Um, I had no idea the impact I was making on other people's lives while I was just chasing my little old dream and not thinking about anyone else. I wasn't doing this out of service for humanity. I really wasn't. Um, I can be honest about that. But while I was chasing my dream and things were happening for me and I was just being myself and doing the things that came naturally to me, I was inspiring people. I had no idea I was I was ever reaching the level of inspiration and impact that I learned I had in the aftermath was so humbling just absolutely bring you to your knees humbling because you have no idea how powerful it is to live your true life path. And you owe it to the world to do that because there's somebody out there who needs to see you doing what you need to do in order for them to be inspired to become who they're meant to become. And I believe that with my whole heart and soul. Like you have to walk your path. It is so important. There are people out there who need it so badly and you'll never know their names and you'll never know you impacted them, but you might save their life. I mean, you wouldn't believe the letters I've gotten of people who were ready to kill themselves, people whose parents had died, siblings had been murdered, people who were in dark, 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 deep, dark holes that told me that my books, they found them at a really dark time. And it was the only thing that kept them going. It was the only thing that kept them on this planet that made them not kill them. I mean, when you get letters like that, you know, I mean, a romance novel might seem silly to 97% of the population, but romance novels have saved lives. Mm. Like that means they matter. So even if you don't think what you want to do or your dream, you know, you don't think it could impact people. You have no idea. Like you're, you have no idea. I had no clue. And you realize all along just by being you and doing the things that come naturally to you and walking that path towards your dream, you are such an important part of this tapestry that we're all weaving together. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so powerful. That gave me chills. And that, that, that makes me think of, um, as you write about, everything comes back to energy, like everything is ultimately about energy. And so if you're writing romance novels from the energy of I'm living my dreams, and I'm doing what I love, and I'm coming from my heart, and you're in the flow, and it's, you know, you're, you're creating something beautiful versus even if you were, let's say, you know, a, a defense lawyer defending whatever, like some important clients, but you're coming from, I hate my job and this sucks and I'm miserable, you know, then that's the energy that you're putting out into the world. And that's, you know, people, I think people feel that and re obviously they respond to it. And that it sounds like that's what they're, you know, they're resonating with something that you've put into form, but they, it's the energy behind it. That's really what they're 
what's impacting them. I, I think you're right. I truly do. And it's, it's one of the most beautiful things when you see how you impact people, when you see that, oh, wow, you know, there's a, a, a like a stepmother and a stepdaughter who now have a relationship because they were able to bond over this book that mm. I wrote for a completely different purpose. I didn't know I was going to make it so that you and your stepmother could have a great relationship that you've never had before. Like these are, it's just crazy things. And the, when you put good energy out, good things come from it, whether, you know, it takes a decade for you to see the results or, you know, whether it comes back around instantly. Mm -hmm. And we don't know, we don't, you know, we don't know what the results will be when we follow our truth and our passion and what we love. That's, yep. that's the mystery. You truly don't know. And honestly, the biggest thing I've learned is it's best to just let go of the outcome, surrender that outcome to a higher power. Because when you start wanting to envision the outcome that you're going to have, you're almost always going to limit yourself. I truly think that what you know the universe has in store for each one of us, if we were to truly step into our full power, is so beyond incredible that you can't even imagine it. And I say that knowing that there's no way 10 years ago, I could have imagined the life I'm living now. If you'd told me a decade ago that I would be living this day-to-day -day existence I live now, I there's no part of me that would have believed you. None. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, miracles happen. Fantasies come true. Life can be, be a, better than your wildest dreams. And it's it's pretty crazy. Mm hmm. Now, uh, talking about surrender, speaking of surrender, that makes me think about you have a chapter about habits mm -hmm. and one of the habits that you quit. And it, it, this is just really cool for me to think in these terms. But the, one of the habits you quit was the habit of worrying. And, you know, as someone who has historically been quite a worry wart, um, this was I was like, oh, yeah, that is a habit. Oh, that that could just be a habit that I quit. What great guidance. Um, it's just helpful to identify it as a habit and and replacing that habit with faith, with trust, right? Could you talk about how 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 could people quit this habit of worrying, which, as we know, is not so helpful in terms of directing our minds toward what we want to create? Yes, I, like you, also did not know you could quit worrying. I thought <laughs> kind of, right? The more I thought, yeah. well, the more you worry about something, you know, the better it's going to turn out. Um, <laughs> which when you stop and think about it, you're like, okay, that's really backwards. I'm sending negative energy to this thing, hoping it's going to turn out positively. Um, I was reading a book and uh, called Homeless to Billionaire. And this guy was like, so we quit worrying. I was like, wait, you can do that? <laughs> like you, I also didn't realize that. And when I realized you could quit worrying and that what it effectively was, was sending that negative energy out, I realized, yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. And it is something that you just have to keep coming back to, right? There's no magic to this. None. There is no magic. This is literally a habit replacement process. Mm -hmm. So whenever I start to worry about something, I I just come back to what I know is true, that everything that's happening to me is happening for my best interest, whether I can see that or not in the moment. There is a higher plan for me that I cannot see because I'm not omniscient over this world. And there is an infinite creator that knows exactly how to make this all work out fabulously. And I don't want to get in the way of that. So whatever I want to worry about, I just surrender it, surrender it to God, surrender it to the universe, and just literally decide I'm not going to think about it. 
But as you so, we so often do, 10 minutes later, you find yourself worrying about it if you even make it 10 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and okay, yeah. I'm going to surrender that again. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to surrender it again. Yeah. And the, I mean, this, and this is part of that bigger theme around our attention. And as you point out, there are all kinds of entities out there who are competing for our attention and paying a lot of money to attract and harvest our attention. And, you know, and to do something like you've done in terms of creating your dream life, creating a life you really want to live, um, committing to a, a path and being successful at it, we know that takes so much focus and, you know, really, you know, owning our attention and pointing it in the direction we want to in that practice of, you know, letting go of the worrying so we can focus on what we want and surrendering. Um, how how do you stay focused on what you want to create and not get distracted or let your mind go in all these different directions that would not be so productive or useful? I think that is definitely an art form. You have to constantly have a really good reason why, right? Like your motivation is wildly important. I think that's the only thing. If you have a good why you're doing a thing, you're going to keep moving down the path. And when you lose that why, you definitely run into more trouble and stumble. So for me, I feel like at this point, I am I continue because I was given these talents and these abilities and the willingness and capability, and I desperately want to fulfill my potential. That is my main um, motivation and driver at this point in my life is fulfillment of my potential because I know that there is so much that I'm capable of doing. It actually terrifies me. I, I'm terrifyingly capable. It's, it's wild. Um, but I feel like your why and the reason you keep doing things, it's going to change so many times. You know, the things that keep you going one day if it's not, you know, once you hit a certain point, that might not be something that's going to keep you moving. Like for me in the beginning, I just didn't want to be a lawyer. I wanted to be happy and wanting to be happy will take you a really, really long way. And sometimes you have to keep redefining what happiness is. And sometimes you get it wrong. Sometimes you get it right. And I just, I'm always, I'm a fine tuner. If I feel mm-hmm. like there's anything out of alignment in my life, I just okay, let's tweak that. We can improve on that. We can improve on that. Like I'm a continuous improvement junkie. Like I don't know how to stop, I guess. Um, I recognize that I'm perfect in the moment that I'm in and I need to do nothing or be nothing, be nothing but myself. Uh, But I think obviously if life continues, there's always something that can be improved on or something can evolve and I think that's what keeps me engaged, knowing that as long as I'm on this planet, there's a purpose for me and I'm going to fulfill it somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, that that courage to keep listening and changing and, oh, I thought I thought this was the path or this was the path for a while and now it's not anymore. And so now I'm going in this direction. And and I think there's a that's a, kind of a cultural distortion, right, that we're supposed to know who we're going to be for the rest of our lives. And, (laughs) and I feel like there can be some judgment around like, now you're doing what I thought you were doing this. Um, Where for me, you know, I'm with you as like, I'm going to follow what's exciting to me and what I'm passionate about. And I I keep changing. So of course, the expression of my work and my life is going to keep 
going in new directions. And I think that's such a blessing, honestly, because I've learned that transformation isn't necessarily something that seems to be open to everyone at the same degree, right? Some people will be happy in a in a life that's mostly the same, and some people won't. And it's everything that you're experiencing is perfect for you, right? It's always perfect for you at that moment. And I think, like you said, our society doesn't seem to give a lot of credence to the fact that there are seasons. There are mm-hmm. seasons in life. We are not separate from nature. And for one season, you might find this very fulfilling. And then there may come another season when that just doesn't suit you at all. And I love that we're allowed to change and transform whether anybody gets it or not. And, mm-hmm. and quite frankly, if you mystify your family and your friends, well, you're probably you're probably doing great. Exactly. Well, and this is a creative rebel's guide to winning the game of life. And and I want to bring in one more thing. I know we're, we're getting close to the hour, but you write that loving yourself is the ultimate act of rebellion. And I think that's fantastic. And I think that that feels very true to me, you know, again, in the context of our culture, where there's so much conditioning around you're not okay. Of course, you're not okay, because we need you to keep buying all these products that are going to make you okay. So you can't love yourself. But can you talk about self-love? And also, you know, for people who feel like, well, that sounds nice, but that's really hard. Like, do you have any suggestions for, you know, cultivating that self-love? Yeah, self-love is huge. Oh, and it's tricky, right? Like you said, there's so many societal forces and factors and programmings uh, that want you to hate yourself. Uh, So many destructive ones, because a lot of people make a lot of money if you hate yourself. Like you said, you'll keep buying things and to fill holes in yourself that can never be filled by buying things. Um, Self-love, learning to love myself, I think was the greatest accomplishment of my entire life um, by far, and probably one of the hardest Uh, but learning to accept yourself exactly the way you are, warts and all, man, that's really powerful. Oh, it's so powerful. It's terrifying though, too. I think I had this false belief, this program in my mind that if somehow, if I accepted myself for who I am right in this moment and, you know, and I'm still a little overweight and I'm not where I want to be, you know, financially or professionally, But if I accept myself as I am at this moment, I had this false belief that I would never change. Mm. Well, I'll be stuck there. If I accept myself, you mean I can accept my, this, this, this unfinished work, right? And I can accept that I'll never change. I'll never get those things. And it's the exact opposite. This belief that so many of us have that if we accept where we're at, we'll never move beyond it is completely backwards. If you accept yourself for who you are and decide that you're going to love yourself, no matter how imperfect or apparently imperfect you seem to be, that is such a huge act of power. It is huge. It is so huge because you've decided to just accept reality as it is. And then all of a sudden, all these things begin to change in your life because you start to take care of yourself like you matter. You start Mm -hmm. to have a little bit more self-worth. And the more you believe you're worth, the more life is going to give you because you've said, I'm worth it. I believe I deserve it. I love myself. Of course, I want myself to have good things and be surrounded by pleasant and, you know, positive energies. And it's 
I think there are a lot of people who have a lot of chips on the game of life on the side of you hating yourself. And that's why I think self-love is the ultimate act of rebellion, because it's Mm -hmm. the one thing that so many forces don't want you to ever get to. Mm -hmm. But at your core, you are source. And why wouldn't you love that? Like, even if it's just that one little spark of you that you can find a way to love, well, there's something in me that's divine. I'm going to love that. And if you don't love yourself and you hate yourself completely, then you're hating source. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably where it all comes down to, right? Why there's so much programming in the negative direction. But in order to learn how to love yourself, I we just all have to realize the fact no one, this whole idea of perfect perfection is such a myth and it's so dangerous and it's such a a dangerous thing to perpetuate that you being something other than what you are right now would make you perfect. I mean, that's just not even true. It's like, that's not even reality. Reality is you're perfect in this moment Mm. because you're being exactly as you were created to be. And again, this comes back to who are you? If we're thinking about loving yourself, who is this self that you're loving? And that's, um, that's very wise to say, well, you're source. So how can you hate source or think that source isn't perfect? Right. And how can you think that you're going to live a life of your dreams hating yourself, right? Like if everything is energy and all you do is direct hate at yourself, why would anyone expect anything good is going to come out of that? Mm. Right. Like, it's just it when you step back and you look at it without the emotionality and just as sort of even a logical thing, it makes no sense. I mean, if the moment I started to really love myself and take care of myself and take up space in my world and decide, yeah, I deserve my own love and care and forgiveness, my life changed radically. Like, I'm talking radically. It was almost unbelievable. And I think people just have to get to that point where, you know, why wouldn't I love myself? What did I ever do that was so terrible? Like, I can (laughs) forgive myself for things. Honestly, this is how it hit me the other day. I I pray every single day to be kind, compassionate, considerate, and forgiving to everybody in every situation and every moment, including myself. That's a tall order I have learned, but I get better at it every day. And it hit me. If I'm not kind to myself, I can't call myself a kind person. If I don't love myself, I can't call myself a loving person. And that really hit me hard. That's really powerful since um, in my experience, it can be so much easier to forgive other people and see other people as perfect and they're just on the path. But me... Right. Me, I, I, yeah, we tend to hold ourselves to uh, more, um, uh, not just higher. Yeah. Yeah. It's fictitious higher standard that doesn't even exist. Mm -hmm. And in reality, if you can see the innocence in other people and other people are just a mirror for yourself, I mean, that innocence is within you. It wasn't your fault. You were programmed with negative beliefs. You, you know, took in this societal programming from your childhood and your life. Like, that's not your fault. Like, you're just like, we are all on the same level playing field. We're just these innocent little, you know, balls of energy that are just wanting to live. 
Yes, I, I think that's a really powerful place to end our conversation. But before I let you go, Megan, I want uh, you to let people know how they can find you and your books and if you have any upcoming events or appearances or new books that we can look forward to. Um, thank you so much for having me. This has been so, so fun and so awesome. Um, I would love to connect with anyone who wants to connect. You can find me at meganmarch.com, M-E-G-H-A-N-M-A-R-C-H.com. I'm also on Instagram, Facebook, and I have a wonderful new community that is 100% positive. It's called Rebels and Runaways. You can search for us and find us. Uh, I'll have new books coming out in 2024. So thank you so much, Emily. This is amazing. Wonderful, wonderful. I'm so honored to have appeared on your podcast. Well, it's definitely my pleasure and my honor, and I highly recommend A Creative Rebel's Guide to Winning the Game of Life. And as I shared with Megan, I I like my life. I, I'm, I feel pretty content, but this book was a great kick in the ass around, like, I could be dreaming bigger. And um, I just found it so inspiring. And I think this is a great gift for the creative rebel in your life if you've got some holy day shopping to do. And I just also want to give a shout out to um, another recent book by Megan, which is Writing Amazing Fiction. So if you're someone who also has a dream of being a writer, um, I just started reading this book, so I, I can't say too much about it yet. But um, but I I love it so far. And, you know, and so here's some support for living your dream of being a writer, if that's on your list, like it was for Megan. So thank you so much, Megan. What a pleasure. Thank you so much, Emily. This was truly my pleasure. All right. Bye for now. Bye.